All right. Uh, good afternoon again, and welcome to our third and final panel of the day here at TBRCon 2021. My esteemed panelists are here to talk about what actually scares them, you know, for a change because they all love to scare us enough. But uh, before we get into our discussion, I want to let everybody introduce themselves. So, uh, Lee, we'll start with you. Hey there. Um, my name is Lee C. Conley. Uh, I'm a, you probably tell by my strange method of talking, I'm a, a UK based author. Um, so I'm actually a, a grimdark writer um, who accidentally wrote a bunch of horror. So I'm now a horror author as well. But, uh, but basically, I write a, like a zombie apocalypse uh, sort of monster horror based in a sort of fantasy world. So yeah, I'm also a sword instructor and a professional musician as well. So that's my uh, that's me. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> KM. Uh, hey, I'm uh, KM Alexander. Uh, I write a weird genre mishmash cosmic horror um, urban fantasy called the Bell Forging Cycle. Um, and yeah, so I kind of dipped my toes into that for a while. I have three books out of that series with a fourth coming. So that's me. Cool. Tim? Uh, my name is Tim Meyer. I have written about 15 novels, novellas, and short story collections. Uh, my most recent stuff is The Switch House, uh, Limbs, and most recently uh, Wormwood that I co-wrote with my friend Chad Lutsky. And uh, other than that, I am terrified of everything. So, <laughs> Mike? Uh, hi, I'm Mike Carey. I also write as MR Carey. I write comics, I write novels, occasional screenplays. Uh, probably best known for The Girl with All the Gifts, which is a, uh, a zombie apocalypse novel. Uh, my most recent work is uh, The Books of Coley, the Rampart trilogy, uh, two of which are out, and the third is coming out uh, in March. Jonathan? I'm Jonathan Jans. Hello, everybody. And I'm an author, as you surmised already. Um, I write basically every subgenre of horror. And I just got home from school where I was teaching all day. So I'm a teacher during the day, which is kind of wild during this pandemic. But uh, glad to be here. Andy? Um, Andy Davidson. Uh, I also write horror. Um, I do not have a long catalog of, of books that I can can say I've written. I've written two, uh, and that's pretty much it. But uh, like Jonathan, I also teach, and so I've, I've been fortunate this semester to be fully online, but that's just by happenstance. <laughs> My creative writing class was canceled for lack of interest, so hmm. here we are. Yeah, well, uh, well, welcome everybody to the panel. Uh, appreciate y'all taking the time and, and being here. So, uh, Clearly, as you can tell from the title, um, you know, you guys spend a lot of time scaring all your readers and probably some of your family members as well. But uh, what actually scares each one of you? I, I want to know, you know, what is it that brings on your fear factor? Uh, and, and Jonathan, I want to start with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, OK, so I'm going to give the answer that almost every human would give, probably, which is a really weak way to begin. But I am in constant worry and fear of something happening to my family. Um, I, I didn't even realize that uh, one of my friends, uh, Brian, <laughs> whom a lot of you guys know, he was interviewing me. He said, Jonathan, why do you write about abduction so much? And I didn't know that I did. I didn't realize how often the, the theme of abduction occurred in my stories. I didn't realize until that moment how much it was, you know, how much it frightened me. But every day, 
You know, I, I've got three kids, and my son is probably big enough to defend himself, but my two younger ones are daughters, and I live in constant fear of because it's a scary world. So that's probably what scares me the most. Yeah, Joe. Anybody else want to tackle that one? I was thinking about this because you like, you know, sent out the topics and it's like what scares you and like there's like weird things like I'm scared of heights. And I mean that's true, but I also like climbing mountains and like I'm not scared when I'm on a mountain. But what so what is it when I you know when you have that fear? And really it came down to powerlessness. And I think that is a thing that crops up in a lot of horror is removing the someone's ability to make decisions kind of placing them in a, in a position where they're powerless so like you know if you're afraid of cramped spaces or something which is also kind of creepy for for a, a big guy like me like there's still there's an aspect of powerlessness that comes into that like where you can't necessarily escape a certain way or get out you know that sort of thing so that is really kind of when i tried to distill it down into a, a single thing that was something that kind of kept coming up a lot it was just this like like removing power from the individual or myself in this case, right? Because it's what scares me, um, not necessarily what scares my readers or my characters. But I think it still comes into play in a lot of my work as well. I think probably uh, my biggest fear is um, loss of self, loss of mind, loss of memory. Uh, one of my uh, favorite authors, Mervyn Peek, uh, suffered from early onset dementia uh, in his 50s, in his early 50s. Uh, he was writing the uh, the last book of the Titus trilogy, Titus Alone, and he was losing his grip um, as he was writing it. He was racing, basically, against the disintegration of his own mind as he wrote that book. And the thought of that terrifies me. And I, think, I think that comes out in my work. I, I write a lot of stuff that has sort of some, some element of mind control or possession in it. I think that's, that's basically that fear sort of refracted to a, to a horror lens. Now... I'm going to go a bit deep, guys, so I do apologize. It's a bit early for this. But uh, I think when I really think about it, the thing that scares, and, and it's the root of all the fears like that, that I can think of for, for myself, at least, is the fear of death. Like, and it's something I write, my writing um, tackles like quite a lot. Obviously, it's like, you know, the zombies, but there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot more to it. Than, um, and I think, and I was thinking about it earlier, I mean, what, I mean, I mean, I'm terrified of death, so I wrote a book about a guy, a bunch of guys that are also terrified of death. But uh, basically, I think it's the unknown of that, isn't it? It's the um, sort of like, I mean, I'll do a bit of surfing, and uh, so when I'm in surfing, and I'll be out of my board, um, and I'll be look, I'm terrified of what's underneath. I don't know what's underneath me, and sometimes that can really freak me out. And I was thinking about all the times I can really freak myself out. It's like I'm in the woods, a bit dark, perhaps. It's not the darkness or the woods that's scary. It's the not knowing what's out there, if you know what I mean. So it's like that unknown, and then. And so everything that can like hurt you or get you or eat you is basically leading towards the death, isn't it? It's like, so as I'd say, a fear of death, particularly a grisly one, would be one that I'm, I'm, I'm particularly afraid of. <laughs> Tim, Andy? Um, well, I, 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 there's, uh, I think it's in um, Bradbury's book, um, something wicked this way comes where the little boy comes in late at night and finds his dad downstairs and they have a conversation. And I think it's like 3 AM and I believe the book, I know the film, but I believe the book also addresses this, the, the dad, the father calls it 3 AM is like the soul's midnight or something. It's 
it's that hour of the night that's the loneliest and the darkest and i've 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 awakened at that time of night before and i've felt that sense of utter despair that's like not even connected to anything rational just that loneliness of that hour of night and um you know you're lying awake in bed and and all the thoughts start swirling in your head about all the things that you that you could lose and so sort of what jonathan was saying about family you know in in my case the biggest fear is always losing my wife like the the person who's closest to me in the world um and those those thoughts always enter in at the weirdest like strangest moments when you should be asleep or there's nothing to really stimulate them they just come um so that and i would also say uh in Georgia, we have brown widow spiders. I don't know if you guys have those in Alabama, uh, David, but brown widows are, unlike black widows, which are actually more poisonous, black widows hide. And so they at least have the courtesy to not be visible. But there's a certain time in the spring here when brown widows decide, hey, we're coming out. And we're going to make webs and nests and strangest, most obvious places where you put your hands, like the rails outside of a, of a door, you know, on the steps or something like that. So I hate brown widow spiders. I'm, I'm terrified of them. I also hate spiders. They're, they're terrifying. Um, <laughs> especially ever since I, I read scary stories to tell in the dark when I was a kid and like the, the spider like lays eggs in that girl's face and, and Oh God! Jeez, man. I think about that every time I go to sleep. I'm gonna wake up and there's just gonna be like spiders, like laying eggs in my mouth. Um, yeah, not a fan of that. Also had a run-in with black widows last year. I found a nest in my garage, so that was not fun at all. Um, yeah, spiders are awful. Uh, other than that, um, I mean, I'm terrified of people. Yeah, mostly people because like people are crazy. Uh, every time you look on the news, they're always doing something terrible, and you just you never like know exactly what they're they're capable of. So terrified of that. And then um, yeah, uh, somebody touched on like the fear of the unknown and just like not knowing what's what's going to happen um, in your own future, um, your family's future. Uh, there's always like that that scary element of just not knowing what's going to happen to you. So that's it. Everything else I'm also terrified of on some level. <laughs> Those are just your top fears. Those are just like the top ones. Yeah. I want to I circle back around to something that Andy said, because I thought it was really interesting. It's something that I've been thinking about actually recently that like 3 a.m. everything always feels way worse for whatever reason. And it, it doesn't matter what it is like, it could be just like the thing you have to do tomorrow. It just, it feels heavier at that time. And it's, it's something weird. Like you'll wake up at night and you're like, oh, I have to take my kids to school or I have to go meet this person or I need to deal with this. And there's something about it that just makes it feel heavier and darker. And it's, and it's something about that, like witching hour sort of concept, which is just, yeah, like it, it, I feel that, man. <laughs> like mm. I, I've experienced that same feeling about sometimes really like mundane feelings. Then you wake up the next morning, and you're like, "Oh, I was freaking out about this really weird mundane thing." Like sometimes the light of day can make those kind of heavier things feel a little less 
heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean about that hour too, because uh, you know I've, I've got a seven-month-old, and generally she's sleeping through the night. But there'll be times where she'll she'll make a peep, say two thirty or three, and I'll wake up and just check on her. And I'm like, all right, she's all right. But then I lay my head back down, and all of a sudden things just start rushing into my mind, and I'm just like, I I, I, I want to go back to sleep so bad. But then I start worrying about every single thing that's going to pile on that day, and and yeah, it's it's like it's crushing. Yeah. Until you finally can get to sleep, you know, an hour and a half or two hours later. <laughs> I hear you on that one. I've got this, a little little one the same age. And so sometimes when you get to that time of night, I, I don't know if you guys do this, but I'm always like freaking myself out. I kind of do it for fun, but I'll be like lying there in the dark and I'll suddenly think, I wonder if something's watching me, you know, and I like really start freaking myself out. And I like, but yeah, it always happens, you know, wake up in the middle of the night with the kids and you lie back in bed and you're sitting there and you think, is there something in the corner of the room? There's just like staring at me, you know. That's fun. So yeah, I write write that stuff down, you know. Put, put that in a book later on. I just say, I guess, I guess in my life, eventually, that's gonna be my daughter. She's just gonna like wake up and just stand there, and just stare at me while I'm in bed, you know. Just, oh, there's oh. nothing creepier than those <laughs> little creepy kids staring. Yeah. At me. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is the scariest thing. Ever. Whenever I watch a horror movie, if there's ever like a little child in the dark and they're facing a different direction, and like the person is creeping up on them. Nah, dude, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> There's just something about creepy kids and movies. I, just, I can't do it. Mike, we lost you there for a second. Are you okay? Yeah, sorry. Just my laptop. Apologies. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want to put in a word for the spiders. Um, <laughs> in, in my house growing up, uh, I, I, I was born in Liverpool in a sort of uh, in a slum area of Liverpool. Uh, that's since been torn down and spiders were our friends because we we were we have plagues of cockroaches and they got bigger and bigger each season so eventually you have cockroaches that were like two three inches body, body length i remember there was one time i was playing a, a board game with my brother and his friend and uh, they saw there was a cockroach on my arm and instead of saying there's a cockroach on your arm there uh, my brother said mike what time is it <laughs> Solid brother move there. <laughs> I like spiders. I love spiders. My wife raises insects, so any issues I had with insects has actually like alleviated somewhat. No spiders, thankfully, because I think they would still creep me out a little bit. But um, like big, you know, crazy stick insects and things like that, or it's not uncommon to have like. 15 of them in the corner of our house. And so it's just like you get used to them. And they're awesome. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. Yeah. If I you ever get a chance to raise them, do it. I love spiders for what they do. You know, they eat a lot of insects. I just don't want them in my mouth. Yeah, no. <laughs> in your ears. Yeah. During Kenyon's entire little talk, I just I saw Tim just kind of like you know, cringing just a little bit, going, oh, my God, I can't do that. <laughs> the, uh, when, I, when I was younger, um, you know, my, my, my third grade teacher had an iguana in her classroom. So we had, we had a you know, class pet and it was my job to go out and catch things for it to eat. Well, the, the easiest thing to catch outside of a school building was spiders. And so I actually collected spiders when I was younger, um, which is really weird. It's like a really weird thing to do um, because, you know, at that age, I'm like, oh, nothing's poisonous. I'll just throw them in a, in a you know, box or whatever, uh, you know, until that box tumbled over and they all got out that's a different story um but coming back to spiders no i i'm i'm afraid of them now because uh there was uh and, and andy knows all about wolf spiders i'm sure um 
but you know they get they get pretty massive sometimes and of course the 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 females carry all the babies on them uh well i was walking out of the house at nine o'clock at night and there just happened to be a giant one making its way towards me so i went to go step on it well as soon as i pulled my shoe off about a hundred babies just scattered oh wow. and i go nope never again i'm done <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I had that scary stories thing with just all the spiders just like crawling. I was like, mm -mm. Mm. they were again through threw my threw my shoe out in the in the street and I was done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank cool baby spiders, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> never wore those shoes again. No, never. <laughs> if you Thank ask one of those baby spiders what scares you, it'll be, it'll be David. <laughs> <laughs> the giant foot. <laughs> Can, can I ask if um, if anybody else has experienced their nightmares shifting during lockdown during the uh, during the pandemic? Have your nightmares changed? Mm -hmm. Initially, for me, um, it was generalized anxiety dreams, like variations on old dreams I used to have, like the the standard dream of uh, there's a class I forgot to go to all semester. Uh, usually, it's my Spanish class. I don't know why, but as the as the pandemic sort of wore on uh my my dreams became pretty much um one in particular i remember was terrifying being in public places and it's usually two scenarios either i'm the only person who is wearing a mask and nobody else is following protocol or i forgot to wear my mask and everyone else is not wearing masks so, right that's that's the way mine have shifted and it's such a mundane <laughs> sort of nightmare to have but it, it's, yeah. it's terrifying I, I keep on having social distancing nightmares uh, like I, I dreamt I was at a, at a Nazi rally in Berlin and Adolf Hitler was standing right next to me and he was like way in my personal space so that was what was worrying me not not the thousands of stormtroopers who were walking past it was just Hitler was breathing in my face right that's amazing. <laughs> He always seemed like that type of guy that was you know, so personal bubble. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't put it past him. I think that's a that's valid. I've I've uh, I've had more like losing people. Like I'm in a location and, and I haven't been able to find like my wife or my family, um, and that's not something I really dreamed of very much. I don't have it. Like I don't remember a ton of my dreams um, for whatever reason. I know I have dreams, but like I'll wake up and they're just like gone. Uh, but these have been a little bit more vivid. It, it's it's it, things in Seattle have been somewhat stable for the last few months. Um, I mean, we're very lucky, uh, but especially early on because we were like one of the first locations in the U.S. Like I was really like, especially like spring of last year, it was definitely I was noticing that sort of stuff happening a lot. Like those sort of dreams where I would like be trying to find my wife in like a big hotel or a big like my office or just some place that's like really mundane that I know pretty well and I wouldn't be able to find her. It's interesting actually, Mike, that you mentioned that because I've, I mean, like I've always had pretty bad dreams like forever, you know, and I've always thought yeah. it was good, a good idea was to write, start writing them down, you know, and it's got to the point now where they're, they're not even really scary anymore. There's some of them are pretty horrific, but they're just sort of like, and there's another one, there's another one. But I've never really been in a position to ask. I mean, do you guys all get that as well? Is that something that, I mean, do we, do, is that something that is you know particular to a horror writer, perhaps, or, or is you know is it just? Is it, I always thought it was just me being a bit mad, you know. Well, you, you kind of become desensitized to your nightmares. Mm. Is that what you mean? Mm. Well, I mean, 
I mean, I, I love listening to my wife. I asked my wife what she, I mean, she'll have some dreams. She has dreams about, you know, there's a scene in one of my new books where there's a, a mother and a daughter and uh, the zombies are after the, the kids and the mother. And then like, I, I, the scene is literally completely straight. I don't want to spoil it because it's quite a new book, but it's straight out of one of her dreams. And I thought, as soon as she told me, I was like, that is, that is gold. I'll write that down. And it's horrific. But yeah, and I, and I always try and write down, you know, like anything I, th anything I dream or anything that bothers me. But I, I never thought to ask anyone, you know, do, do, other, do other authors of horror do that? Do you all get those nightmares as well? Yeah, I get. I have crazy nightmares. Like sometimes my wife will actually wake me up because I'll I'll just I'll be like making weird noises in my in my sleep while I'm having these mm, intense totally. nightmares. Um, but uh, they haven't really gotten crazier since uh, I've been on lockdown. Um, but I uh, yeah, I occasionally have really crazy messed up dreams that definitely make their way into the into the books for sure. It's good to know that I'm not just the only one who's mad. We're all a bit mad. That's yeah. good to know. No, yeah. we're, all, we're all insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm with Tim though as well. Mine haven't really changed particularly. They're just still there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> You're still having crazy dreams. What about you, Jonathan? Yeah. Uh, this this might sound like a little bit of an overshare, but I um, I've had sleep problems my whole life, and it's it's really therapeutic to kind. Of, I'm not that I'm reveling in all of your misfortune. And <laughs> I love them. It's therapeutic to hear that other people are having trouble sleeping, or they have nightmares, or they wake up and then they're terrified in the middle of the night. I've always had insomnia, always had horrible nightmares, and my uh, doctor that that I. The, my general practitioner she's been kind of troubleshooting a it's me like finally admitting this to her that i've always been insomniac and so we started treating it with sleep medicines but then she kind of realized that this was more of an anxiety issue um or at least as much of a sleep issue as it was anxiety and so she prescribed these this kind of medication for me to have three pills a day and i'm i'm a slow learner i should have figured this out earlier but um i was starting out i'd like take them evenly spaced throughout the day and then I was still waking up like every night between three or 4 a.m. I always wake up and I can never get back to sleep. So I started taking two of the pills right before I go to bed and it's not gone. The insomnia is not gone and the nightmares and the night terrors, they're not gone, but they're better because that's when I'm most susceptible. I'll wake up at 3 a.m. and it's just like the weight of everything. My imagination, real life, everything conspired to just completely throw me into the, I, it's it's the least restful time of the day for me. I'm, I'm in this absolute right. state of of just, just this frenzy of terror every night at the same time. And it's funny, Mike, because you talked about the pandemic. I started doing that with the pills right when the pandemic started, just coincidentally. So I've actually slept slightly better since the pandemic started, just because of my change in medication. Right. Um, yeah, but it was not because, you know, the pandemic is obviously stressful. I just happened to start taking medication then. It's probably good I, timing because you'd be more stressed out. I think yeah. I would. I think the frenzy would be much worse than it would have been before. I just, yeah, you're right. Huh. I, I suffer from sleep apnea. So uh, about one night a week or one night in 10, uh, I'll wake up choking because my airway is closed. Oh, wow. uh, what's, what's really annoying is that um, my mind invents, it's like, it's like it's not enough just to be joking. Uh, my mind invents reasons for it. So I'll wake up out of a dream where someone is strangling me or where there's something mm. tied, tied around my neck or I've swallowed it towards an enormous marble or something. And it's always a different justification. Wow. Yeah, we're pretty sure I'm going that route as well. It's unfortunate. <laughs> it's not good, is it? Waking well, up, not, not breathing in the middle of the night. It's not good. You might, I'm always, no. afraid, again, I'm always afraid I'll just, you know, what if I just die? 
you know, that's you know pretty terrifying, isn't it? So it is terrifying, yeah. Not good. I was expecting this panel to get dark. My gosh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what do you expect, man? You invited a bunch of horror writers. To uh, no. <laughs> but this is why I didn't do a Minicon. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I read a question and I've got a, there's a, a comment that's kind of a branch off of it, but I want to know, have you, have any of you written about your greatest fear or is it just too much to bear thinking about it and putting it to a page? Uh, I definitely, definitely have. I mean, it's literally every theme of it. it, it I mean, you've, you've read my books, David. I'm not sure if you guys have, but it is, it's all about death in its various forms. It's all about the unknown. And it's all about like things that watch you in the night and those whispers and those worries and those dreams. And it's all, it's literally all that we've just discussed is basically there's one of my books. There you go. So, but yeah, absolutely. 100%. So, hmm. I wrote a, a novel called um, Someone Like Me. In which uh, a woman who's a mother of mother of two small children, well, one small child and one teenage boy, um, is taken over by an alternate version of herself, a sort of much crueler, uh, kind of off the uh, off the rails version of herself. And I guess that's uh, that was that that's the uh, the whole dementia thing coming through in a, in a, under a very light disguise. I think There's the idea of losing your own personality, becoming a danger to the people around you. Hmm. I haven't done. I mean. I said powerlessness, which I mean, yeah, <laughs> like you do that with characters, you strip them of, of you know, of being able to do whatever they need to do to achieve whatever the goal is to some degree. Um, because I write in cosmic horror, you get this like the fear of the unknown cosmicism, which crept into, you know, Lovecraft and Chambers and, you know, all these, you know, writers from that era. And so like that definitely plays into it more. Um, the aspect of our powerlessness in response to things that are far beyond our understanding. So how small we are, how infinitesimal we are compared to, you know, the universe really. Um, so like that creeps into the narrative for me. Um, it's one of those things that's like, I mean, yeah, if you sit there and think about it long enough, I think anybody can freak themselves out with like what could be out there that, you know, we're, we're pretty weak compared to the rest of the universe. There's a lot of things out there that can kill us beyond just our planet, right? So like you start to really creep into that. And um, it, it, it really kind of settled in with me when I read House on the Borderlands, um, which the first half is kind of this funny little monster story. And then the second half is like, and now we're gonna explore space and time. Mm -hmm. and, and you're just like, whoa, this is this kind of weird veer, but like, that part, if you just take it by itself, probably doesn't come across as scary until you really dwell on it long enough. And then you start really thinking about how powerless we are in the face of the universe as a whole and how we really don't, like as Lee was saying earlier, like that unknown aspect of like what could kill us and then what is beyond even that is kind of scary sometimes. Like, yeah. Yeah, for real. Uh, yeah, I uh, I wrote two things that were kind of based off of like real fears. Um, one of them was called Dead Daughters, which uh, is about uh, a family whose uh, daughter is being threatened uh, with murder. And um, that's always a great fear of mine, like Jonathan touched on early on, just like that family aspect and kind of being helpless to help them. Um, and then the daughter also has like a... Um, physical limitation and my son is autistic he has like a like mental limitations um so like there's always that fear too is that not only are they being threatened but they don't have the ability to like 
help themselves out of that situation. Um, so that's also super terrifying to me. Uh, and then a, another novella I wrote called 69, which is about a uh, cosmic entity that actually eats people's memories. Um, and so I watched uh, my grandfather go through Alzheimer's and that was like a super terrifying experience. If any of you guys have ever watched somebody go through that, it's just, it's just an awful disease and um, what it does to the mind. So that kind of was born from that fear as well. Yeah, I think um, both of my books that I've written have been about what comes after what happens, like the thing you're afraid of, the loss, the family. <clears throat> I think mine has been about grief and I don't even necessarily do it consciously, but it just sort of happens at some point in the narrative. These characters will be there that have lost people they loved. And um, so mine's more about dealing with the aftermath of a fear coming true than it is being afraid of the thing happening, I guess. But, yeah. yeah. Um, one for me is, and I don't know, this is again, probably an overshare and I, my, I don't mean to dredge up any pain that anybody has. Um, but there's, you know, I think, I think we would all agree that so much of what's scary and painful is pretty commonplace. Like it happens all the time. And one thing that I've always, you know, I came, my, my mom divorced my dad when I was four and that was a hundred percent the right thing for her to do. I'm so thankful she did, but, um, I've always, you know, we've all seen people go through divorce. Um, we've all seen people. And then, you know, I've seen friends that don't get to see their kids. And, um, I mean, that, that just absolutely suffocates me. That thought, um, of my family going on without me, maybe it sounds egocentric, but missing out on my family. And, um, I wrote a book, uh, Children of the Dark, and I wrote the sequel to it. And in that sequel, uh, Will, the main character, he's, he's 15, but he's like a father figure to his little sister, Peach. And um, at least for part of that book, they're not together. And there's a scene where he, he, he badly, like he wants with all his soul to be reunited with her. And he's like watching her um, unbeknownst to her from a distance and he's not allowed to see her. And so he's watching her life go on without him. And like that notion of, I mean, obviously if anything ever happened to me, I would want my family to go on. I would want my wife to meet somebody and my kids to have a, a father figure or whatever. But that thought is absolutely terrifying, like in, in a way that I can't even really describe right now. Um, I just can't imagine being out of my family's life, um, how painful that would be. So I guess I wrote about that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, over the past you know seven months, I, I completely feel it. You know, uh, have, having a daughter last summer, you know, you know, we it, it completely changes your mindset uh, about what actually scares you. You know, th there's so many things out there, but you know, it's the ones that really hit close to home that uh, that hit them that had the most impact. Um, so, all of you write different aspects of horror. Um, you know, from zombies to splatterpunk, uh, haunted houses, vampires, monsters. Uh, Andy writes weird fish creatures, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but Mike, I want to start with you. Uh, what drove you to write horror and more specifically your particular subgenre of horror? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I, think I asked it. <laughs> I'm going to say it, 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 it's not all about fear. 
um, to some extent, and coming back from something that KM said, um, I like I like stories that kind of make you reposition yourself in relation to the universe. I like stories that kind of function as a, a total perspective vortex, make you aware of um, the vast possibilities outside your direct experience. That's kind of thrilling. It's terrifying, but I think it's thrilling. Um, like I was reading uh, last week about this ghost galaxy that they found. Did you hear about this? There's a galaxy in, in the local cluster, very close to us, about, I don't know, uh, a thousand light years, say. Ne next door, cos cosmic backyard. Um, <laughs> but it's invisible. It's invisible because all of the stars in this galaxy are incredibly low luminosity. They're, they're just they're really, really faint little candles. And the reason why is because uh, they collided with us a few billion years ago and we stole most of their energy. So a lot of the suns in our galaxy burn brighter because we, we, we nicked everything that was going on in this other galaxy. And that got me thinking, you know, what the hell would live in that sort of low energy galaxy? What would you find there? I, I, I love stories that do that. And I guess I'm comfortable writing anything in the sort of the, the range from horror through dark fantasy to sci-fi because it all does that, that trick of twisting your perspective, making you see things from a different point of view or making the familiar seem unfamiliar and strange and disconcerting. That's what I love about horror. Wow. I think you just spawned about a hundred horror novels, Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's wild. Who else wants to take that one on? Now, now that Mike's kind of mic dropped. Yeah. <laughs> How do you follow that? <laughs> Stuff made me scared, so I wrote it down. <laughs> That's probably true for all of us, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't I, I, like. I didn't necessarily set out to write horror. Um, I think it was just, you know, when you. I think everybody's at one point or another has read like Lovecraft and like fallen in love with like giant monsters and like that sort of thing, and it just kind of spins out from that. And I think horror kind of fell into it because you start to explore some of those concepts and themes. Um, I. Yeah. And, and and that was like I think a big a lot of the stuff I've always read has been kind of dark fantasy. Um, I really was introduced like early on and like with like the Hellblazer comic stuff um, was a big big driver for me. Um, but it, it like and then that spawned me exploring everything else, right? And that's what got me into kind of urban fantasy and 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 trying to do that. So like like while horror is a big part of my books, they're also still kind of like cool adventure books too in a weird city, right? Like, I mean, that's part of the, the fun as well. So it's not just horror, but it always shows up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Next. Yeah, I mean, uh, a short. it's a short answer, but I just like, I always loved horror movies growing up and uh, horror was just always fun for me. So um, it was an escape. And uh, I just kind of continued that trend into to my my own writings growing up. So I'm going to jump in here before I'm not going to interrupt anybody, but something you just said there, Tim, is something that I agree with as like it's an escape a little bit, um, yeah. especially right now. Like everyone's like, you're still reading horror books. How can you read horror books? I'm like, man, it is so nice to just unplug with like a, a horror novel that doesn't deal with whatever the horror we're dealing with right now and just kind of lose myself in that world. It is such an escape for me. And I, and I think that comes into play as well. Um, so like, that's why I still 
read it and write it. So, yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. So also I, uh, touching. Oh, sorry. Oh, carry on. Like, carry on. Oh, well, I, I was just going to say, I, I didn't even set out to write horror. I, I went through a master's program in creative writing. And one of the things that that almost killed in my soul was, you know, um, the love of reading. <laughs> um, I, I, I grew I'm up doing one right now. Horror. Yeah. And, and I, well, you come out of those programs never wanting to write again or read a book again. You just want to go <laughs> do other things. And I didn't do anything for about 10 years after I graduated. And when I finally wrote my first novel, it was a crime novel. And I sat down and I, I reread the draft of it and I just didn't like the book. <laughs> it was kind of like, there's something here that I'm, I'm kind of interested in, but if it's boring me, it's going to bore other people for sure. And, and I had this idea to layer onto it the things that excited me about reading when I was a kid. And that's Stephen King. That's, that's horror. Um, so, you know, I, I remember the first horror novel I think I read was it in, I mean, I read watchers before that, but watchers is kind of a lot of things. It's not just horror, but then I read it and that terrified me. And it was such a great book in, in so many ways, um, more than that, I think. And, and I thought going back to something like that, that made me want to write or, and be a writer and read what was the source. And that was it. It was horror. And as soon as I put a vampire in my book, suddenly it, you know, which probably isn't the best idea, you know, in 2017, when you want to get published, put a vampire in your book, but, uh, it kind of worked out. So, yeah. I say to touch on something Tim mentioned, you said about you love horror films. I mean, me too. I mean, the, you know, one of the things I really, really wanted to write was, I mean, I love all the old, uh, George Romero zombie films. I loved all those eighties sort of slow rambling zombies i love the walking dead and things like that so when i set out i knew i was going to write something about zombies and I, I knew it was gonna be i don't call them zombies i call them the dead because zombies was a bit like not quite <laughs> fantasy but i also i must say i predominantly read fantasy i've all, all my life i've read fantasy and grimdark and things like that so i knew that i was going to be writing a fantasy book and i thought i was walking a very trodden path you know undead in a fantasy world so i, I mean it's okay I kind of, uh, I was watching a lot of uh, Vikings at the time, so it was uh, like a Nordic, grimdark style world. And let's just throw a zombie apocalypse in there and you know kill kill every, everybody, and the whole world will end and zombies will will reign. So that, yeah, that's kind of yeah, the premise of my stuff. And but what I mean, it draws me to something I was thinking about uh, last month. I was doing a few interviews not long ago, and um, one of the things that came up was they were saying what. What my what makes a book scary? And I thought, well, do you know, I haven't really read many books that actually, you know, actually scare me. You know, obviously with my my dreams and things like that. You know, I'm pretty uh, acclimatized to the sort of, and all the horror films I watch. You know, I don't, don't really find that much scary, but I do find films can be quite scary. So, like, one of the things I really wanted to do was kind of harness that um, the sort of cinematic fear that you can get from a horror film and put that on a page. So, but you know, at the same time having lots of fun zombies both on like sort of the paranormal side and then like the the the, the, the good the gore side I, mean, I love a bit of gore so who doesn't love a bit of gore but uh and you get all that and all and i thought so 
they've got no guns they've got no cars they've got no planes they've just literally got a bunch of axes some long ships you know and then zombie and they don't know what's going on so it adds, I, I felt it gave me a lot to play with a whole new dynamics to play with but trying to keep that sort of human element of, of how they survive and all that stuff and the fears and the thing because there's a big paranormal element about you know possession like mike was saying about these things that possess you alongside the zombies and things like that so it's like there's things watching people and no one knows what's going on it's all very unknown and and but yeah basically a mishmash of, of zombie and fantasy and it, i say i completely accidentally wrote a horror novel i set out to write a, a sort of grimdark fantasy novel and then and i read it through and i was like actually that's a horror novel and then i realized uh, so i'm doing a degree in writing as well and hopefully andy it won't kill my love of reading and writing <laughs> but, uh, but uh i found that when i've been doing it horror seems to be the thing i i write uh the most so i'm totally going with it so i'm a fantasy horror thing <laughs> that's awesome uh well i think that tim or sorry uh, andy you mentioned um stephen king and you know a generic answer would be well stephen king inspired me but i think that it was it was much deeper than that um i there are two things when i was uh, a kid if any of you have seen how to train your dragon um you know that hiccup feels like a total outsider. He's like the ultimate outsider within his community of Burke. And it's because, in, in, in it's twice mentioned, his, his father mentions it and Gobber mentions it. They said, you've just got to stop all of this. And he says, you just gesture to all of me. And that's how I felt growing up um, in my little small town in Indiana. Because like, I, and I'm not sob story here or anything, but like growing up, with with my mom who was awesome who was interested in you know she was interested in edgar Allan poe and all kind in like uh, the twilight zone stuff like that all my other friends were very influenced by their dad which i didn't have and so they were always talking about they were having debates about kawasaki versus suzuki dirt bikes i'm like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> well i don't you know i don't like dirt bikes i'm not into that stuff i don't care about ford versus chevy i'm not I have, I have no frame of reference here, right? And so I just like nod and try to belong. And I just felt like the ultimate outsider all the time because nobody talked about the stuff I was interested in. And I thought the problem was with me. I also felt very unintelligent for a variety of reasons. I just felt like I wasn't smart. And um, and it's the, the irony here is, is that everybody, that, you know, when people mention the Tommyknockers, it's always like this black eye in Stephen King's career. People feel like, oh, it's a terrible book and all that stuff. But that was my first Stephen King book. I read that when I was 14. And it was, uh, this is an overused like cliche, but it was like I was flailing in the ocean and then I found this buoy. Um, and all of a sudden, not only did I, I not feel, I didn't feel stupid. I, I realized I was reading the wrong books, right? And, and then finally this book spoke to me. And then I, I connected with it and I realized that my intellect wasn't the problem. Uh, and then the other thing that it did for me was that it showed me that there were other outsiders and it made me embrace the, the facets of myself that made me that. And there are a lot of things that made me feel like an outsider. Um, but, but I started to connect to these characters and, and to, to realize that other people had these thoughts. I mean, just like early on in this, in this, you know, this panel, you know, it was very edifying to hear about your night terrors, to, to hear about your nightmares, to hear about your fears. I'd never had that sense of community that I felt when reading his books. And so I think that all of um, those emotions in me, all those feelings that I had of, 
of a lack of self-worth, a la lack of self-esteem, those things started to change when I started to read him. And I guess the, the warmth that I felt made me want to both share it with others um, and to create characters of my own like he did. So I think that that's why I write horror because of those experiences, because they were so transformative for me when I read his stuff. A, a lot of what we're saying, I, I, I totally agree with that. A lot of it comes back to what Andy said about you, you, you write the stuff that you love. You write the stuff that's in you to write. There was, there was an interview with Leonard Cohen quite late on in his career where he said, you know, he was a songwriter for many years before he became a singer. And he said it was only ever a question of whether I sang or not. If I was going to sing, there was never any question as to what I would sing. Mm -hmm. it, it was always going to be what, what came out of me. Yeah, I, I think my, 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 my stepfather, who is dead now, um, used to dutifully read everything I wrote, even though he, hate, he hated it. He, hate, he hates any kind of speculative fiction. And he would, he would say to me, you know, you have, a certain, you have a certain gift with words. Why don't you write a novel? Why don't you write an event, a literary novel? Why don't you write a mainstream, a mainstream novel? Sorry, I've lost, uh, lost my visuals again. Um, and the answer is I can't. I can't do that. I can, I can, only, I can only write the stuff that I love. Yeah. I think that's yeah, probably true for all of us. A friend of mine um, that I work with, dear, dear friend of mine, um, does not read horror. And um, he was very supportive of me, you know, in my books and everything. And he, you know, he bought the books. He had me sign one, everything, you know. But at the same time, I got that question from him, that, that question of, do you think you might ever write... And he was a science fiction fan. Like he liked speculative fiction. It was just horror for some reason. The, the, the added layer of the supernatural and the things that didn't fit into the worldview of the reader that he was, there was that question of, couldn't you write something kind of nice? You know, or, <laughs> I, had a, I did a thing at a book club for a, a local group here in Georgia. And one of the first comments out of uh, a very nice lady's mouth as she walked through the, through the door when I was introduced to her, uh, they were they were doing my book, and she said, "Oh, you're the one with the deranged mind." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you couldn't find anybody with less of a deranged mind. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I don't know that that that's definitely there, but. But I mean, here we all are. We're wonderful, normal people. Look at us. Yeah, completely yeah. well-adjusted. Yeah, totally. I think there's an aspect of just the, the when you apply the badge horror to something, people immediately go to a certain place of their mind. Either it's, you know, slasher flicks or Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever, right? Um, and, and I think horror is so broad that it, it doesn't necessarily, like, there's there's so many different little nuances to it that like i think it sometimes does it a little bit of an injustice that we all get kind of stuck in this genre because oh you're right ghosts so therefore it's like well so did tolkien and he's not a horror writer he wrote ghosts but like it's just you know there's like these this but there's this aspect right now because we pigeonhole so much of fiction into these little pockets even like grim dark versus fantasy right like there's like all these little well i like this sort of thing and because we end up doing that i think a lot of times it kind of preloads people's assumptions as to what yeah because there can you could read a horror novel that is terrifying and there is no ghosts or there is no 
nothing that you know is would make you squeamish but it still you know stirs up emotions within you that make you feel certain things that kind of fit within the broader aspect and so it's just like it's it's kind of unfortunate because you're right like people are like oh you're the crazy people that write the the weird stuff like, well not really like it's not that much different from anything else i don't know um what is a you know, now, now that horror's kind of had a, a little bit of a renaissance for the past couple of years, and I feel like it's, I mean, it's just getting better and better. But um, what do you feel is maybe a, a subgenre here, maybe say the last decade, that isn't doesn't get enough attention? Because, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, your your slashers. We talk about your, say, splatterpunk. You talk about psychological horror, um, zombies, et cetera, which, you know, zombies – Except for Lee's books, maybe overdone a little bit just because of Walking Dead. So I wanted to make them fresh, you know. I wanted, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, different, you know. But what is what is one that maybe isn't isn't done enough, or maybe you know needs more attention? My, I'm going to jump in here real. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, I, I've really been into uh, Stephen Graham Jones's stuff. Um, Lately, uh, in particular, uh, he just came out with like the only good Indians. I think this last year, um, but he's written, <laughs> yeah, he's written some other he's written some other stuff that um, kind of deals with um, being Native American and and kind of like that's a big part of the experience of his characters. And I found that very refreshing. Um, and a lot of his stuff is classic horror. Um, but in particular, uh, his work has jumped out to me. And then um, uh, John Horner Jacobs, who writes another cosmic horror writer, does some really good stuff and kind of tends to um, think beyond just your classic kind of box of cosmic horror and, and really kind of pushes the envelope. And I've really liked his work as well. So those two are, they're not really a genre, but they're kind of working in like their own kind of subgenres within things. Um, and I think those have both been really it's been nice to see something kind of fresh come out of that. Yeah. I think there's always going to be something fresh. I think, I mean, no matter what subgenre you take, there's always going to be someone out there that has this crazy cool idea that twists it into this fresh new original thing. I mean, you can take like anything, ghosts, vampires, werewolves, yeah. you know, anything. And then like put a new spin on it, you know? And I think that's what it, I think as long as we've got imagination, I mean, the possibility is limitless, and things will keep coming back. They'll come in vogue and in fashion, and they'll just they'll come straight back. Definitely, definitely. As long as they don't have diamond skin, right? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? What was that? I, I nearly killed the whole genre. <laughs> I mentioned werewolves because I think one of the things that feeds into this is how publishers, especially mainstream publishers, as opposed to smaller indie publishers promote horror and, and kind of how is horror marketed to a mainstream or mass audience and the trends tend to kind of follow what the publishers do right like steven's book is amazing i that's like my, my favorite book of the year same i love that book um he got an ad in times square you know like he he had like really good like the publisher was behind that book and he had a great publisher um and so I, I'm so grateful for that because now that is in the world and, and that is going to be a trend and a thing that I hope people will follow and want to publish more of like indigenous voices and, and uh, Mexican Gothic is another example of that. 
that got mm -hmm. a huge push and is a good book and, and deserves that presence. Um, but like something like werewolves, I mean, Jonathan, you wrote, you've written recently, right? A werewolf book. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, wolf lamb. I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you deal with a werewolf? You know, like there's been a few mainstream, like high profile werewolf books, like it was Glenn Duncan's book, uh, The Last Werewolf, that was, you know, kind of a literary spin on that. But it seems like horror has a kind of pantheon of, of characters and villains and types that I think mainstream publishers sometimes don't know what to do with. And so um, when a fresh voice like Stevens comes along and throws out this amazing book, it's, it's a good thing for all of us, I think, in a way that horror's profile is. Andy, are you hinting that you're going to write a werewolf book next? Because you've done the, <laughs> you've done vampire and you've done fishman. No. <laughs> the funny thing is, no, I mean, I wrote one and um, I think it, it's not going to be the next book that comes out, in part because I think my current publisher wasn't sure what to do with it. Like, it wasn't that they rejected the book, but they just didn't think it would be the next best thing trajectory-wise for, you know, a career, oh, which nice. I kind of, you know, that's sort of disappointing to me, but, uh, you know, you guys are the experts in publishing, I guess, so, um, you know, but, but at the same time, I, yeah, I'm just wondering about, like, how much publishers play into what the trends are and, and that sort of thing. I think I think you're right. Actually, it might have been Lee who said this: that all the great monsters are just susceptible to being endlessly reinvented and reinterpreted. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Mexican Gothic. Mexican Gothic is, uh, in some ways, it's a it's a classic vampire story. But the the rationale for what the vampires are and, and the way that that book kind of um, plays into classic vampire myth, but but completely reconstructs it, I think is brilliant. Uh, and when Peter Watch used um, used vampires in Blindsight, and he made them an extinct offshoot of um, an extinct hominid species, and the reason why they're afraid of the cross is because they can't visually process right angles. So you could actually um, you could stun a vampire just by showing it a window, for example. Wow, Mike, um, you uh, the Felix Castor books. I remember an interview with you years ago where you kind of introduced like the big idea. Um, and in that one, it was ghosts, right? And like ghosts were this one thing that then actually trickled down and created like, oh, if a ghost possesses a dog, it gets you get this or that sort of thing. And I always, that's always kind of like that reinvention again coming back that has stuck with me. It was just this idea of like you give them the one big idea and you twist it in a new new direction, and it really kind of allows you to explore a whole new window and avenue into horror fiction and um yeah so thanks thank you i really appreciate that like it's it's stuck with me <laughs> i'm glad you enjoyed it no, that, that's part of the fun isn't it so it's like finding an angle that somebody hasn't used before yeah so um, mummy books we're gonna go with mummies next <laughs> and... <laughs> i definitely haven't read a good mummy book i, uh, I feel like that that, that, need, that has potential my, my my friend colin mccarthy who was the uh, the director on girl with all the gifts did a, a werewolf movie called Outcast, and his werewolf was this this sort of huge, leprous, white, swollen, bloated thing. It was basically humanoid in shape, but it was just like 
it was sort of like overstuffed and then it was unhealthily pale. And I asked him where he got the idea from. And he said, well, he, he reckons that all werewolf stories are really about the, the terrifying changes that your body goes through in adolescence. So you suddenly get big and hairy all over. <laughs> he said, I just, I just thought I'd uh, cut out a middleman and make the werewolf be an erect Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. So, sorry to lower the tone. <laughs> Perfect. I agree with you on that one too. So. Yeah. Uh, Tim, Jonathan, you have any you have any ideas? You know, you know what's a what's a subgenre you think maybe needs some more attention? I like uh like weird horror. I feel like um especially some of like the weirder cosmic horror um stuff like John Langan, um Laird Barn, uh just like stuff like that that's just kind of a little bit more out there. Um, I was rereading Joe Lansdale's uh, The Drive-In recently, and like that's like one of my favorite like batshit crazy stories. Just like, just the imagination in that in that story is just off the charts, and um, I, I would love to see some of that kind of become more mainstream. But I, I I don't know if it ever will, just because it's so out there and like wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and first of all, before I forget, Andy, I'd read that book. Uh, that sounds interesting. The, the <laughs> book that you wrote, even if they're not, you know, uh, yeah. whatever. If that's not front and center right now, I'd be interested in it. Um, I think there's this. This is going to sound cheesy, but uh, one of the articles that I give my creative writing students is by Chuck Wendig, and it's 25 things a great character needs. And the 25th thing, and this sound again, it sounds cheesy, but it's 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 the essence of what we're talking about. The 25th ingredient is you you and your unique lens, your unique experiences and your unique perspective and sensibility. And that's what you bring to it. You know, you mentioned the werewolf novel I wrote, Wolfland, and that was based on my experiences. And I, you know, the idea of, and, and you make it your own, right? Because it's through your lens and you're going to bring something new to it. And so they don't change kind of what Mike was talking about with the, with the right angles and the, and the crosses. Um, they don't change in my book because of the full moon. They change because of powerful negative emotions and the triggers are all different for one. It's lust for another. It's jealousy for another. It's sorrow. And then that's what changes them. And, and so I found that interesting that emotional process um and i think you know the secret sauce of all the stuff we're talking about here is is the is the the different voices and so the way to get that is by having more diverse voices right and, and a couple of you guys have alluded to that you know if you look back in the 70s yeah of course there are great novels being written um, but the majority were by white men. And that doesn't mean that white men can't continue to write great horror novels, but it means that we're so enriched by having voices other than white men. And that's why, I mean, you know, we're in a horror boom. We're in this golden age, and I think it's just going to get better. And I think the driving force of that is having more voices. You know, I, I can't tell certain stories with authenticity, right? Like someone who's black and has experienced that, you know, that perspective. Um, you talked about Mexican Gothic. That's, that's not my perspective. That's not my lens. That's not my story. Um, you know, and, and, and a um, having um, Sylvia write that book is, is an extraordinary, you know, storyteller. Um, Stephen Graham Jones, you know, uh, the only good Indians is an amazing book. I can't write that book. 
I could never write that book, not in a million years, not 1%. And so um, not only does that, you know, obviously expand the, 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 the community when we have other voices, but it also expands everybody's reading and enjoyment and understanding and everything else. I mean, that we all benefit so much from hearing other perspectives. Um, and I think that that, if you look at 2010 versus 2020, that's the biggest change. All right. And, and hopefully that's going to keep expanding and happening. And, and I think that's that's only going to benefit everybody. Um, but I, I think that's why we're in such a, that's the driving force. And it should have happened much earlier. Uh, but thankfully, it's starting to happen now. Yeah. Same thing's happening in fantasy, too. Um, uh, I know, Definitely. you know, it's really big on publishing, uh, you know, fresh voices and so forth in fantasy. So, I mean, I'm, I'm reading, you know, debuts from authors that, you know, I 10 years ago, never would have happened. Uh, 15 years ago, never would have happened. Um, you know, because you you, you kind of grow up on the same stuff. You grew up on Tolkien and then I, you know, I grew up on Harry Potter and stuff like that, because that's just what was out at that time. But now, I mean, I'm reading things that I'm, completely blown away by and yeah like you're saying jonathan there's no way that a, a white male could have written could have written that uh there's no way you can bring that type of emotion and sensibility and stuff to it it's, it's just impossible um and yeah y'all keep touching on the only good indies i mean that that is like the book uh for me for, and it has been since i read it and i read it God, nine months before it came out and like i still just tell everybody i was like what's a good horror novel that one pick that one and everybody's read it or i, I feel like everybody has um but yeah it's 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 amazing uh to just to see what all's coming out now and uh you know tour.com is kind of the same way with their novellas i mean they not only do they have diverse voices but they've got diverse genres i mean you've got horror novellas you've got fantasy you've got science fiction you've got you know, literary, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's awesome seeing all that, you know, now, now finally kind of hitting more mainstream. Um, so kind of, kind of touching on, you know, we've, we've talked about a few authors that you know, you've kind of gone to, but who's a writer in the genre that you really enjoy who you believe needs more readership? I know one, uh, cosmic horror, Western writer. Well, the books I've read are by him. It's Ed Erdelak. Um, his uh, his uh, cosmic horror sort of a Merkabah Rider series is absolutely fantastic. It's very uh, Lovecraftian mythos, but has uh, it's basically about a Jewish gunslinger who goes around and you know fights demons and stuff, and ends up fighting sort of you know um, Nala Tap and things straight out of the mythos. And his books are absolutely fantastic. I really really enjoyed all. I mean, all of his horror books are absolutely fantastic. Um, but those ones in particular are great. Um, but yeah, definitely check out some of his books if you haven't. Uh, I mentioned uh, John Horror Jacobs. I'm going to throw his name out there again. I think he's a fantastic writer, and always like I think more people need to be exposed to his work. So that would be the person that jumps to mind. Uh, if you haven't read any of Sherry Priest stuff, she writes some really good uh, horror. Um, I would recommend uh, if you want southern like kind of southern gothic, The Toll is a good one. Um, she also did a like a Lovecraftian kind of historical uh, series as well um, called the Lizzie. I think it's the Lizzie Borden Chronicles, which is also pretty good. Um, so I'd recommend both of those as well. Um, so, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I just I read Andy's book this last year. I read um, In the Valley of the Sun. It is excellent. Everybody should go read that too. Yeah, In the Valley of the Sun is like one of my favorite books to come out in the past like five years. So I love that book. Um, 
I'm gonna give her a shout out because I see her in the chat. Laurel Hightower, uh, her stuff is incredible. Her novella came out last year, I think, called Crossroads. From oh shit, there it is. <laughs> um, look at that. We didn't even plan that either. Uh, yeah, her stuff is incredible. It's soul crushing, and um, it's her her writing is so good. So definitely check out Laurel Hightower. Um, Alia Whiteley springs to mind. Uh, she writes these uh, deceptively slim novels that are actually sort of full of huge, terrifying concepts, uh, sci-fi, horror, sci-fi, horror fusion. Um, the Beauty is amazing, and the latest one was called Greensmith, which is more more sci-fi inflected, but lovely stuff. Am I up? <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm just like mentally recording all these names. Um, obviously, I agree. I concur with Tim about Laurel. Uh, just really, she, I, I couldn't believe. I read a book, Whispers in the Dark, by her, and I couldn't believe it was a debut. It was, it was like it was almost like maddening. It's frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> this is your first book. Come on, you've been under a different name for fifteen years because that's how it read. Uh, um, so she's excellent. Sarah Reed is another one who's come along the last couple of years. She's really great, um, kind of literary horror in a way, but like really just cool, great word choice, great musical language. Um, another one that I think is underrated, she's been around for a while is Mary San Giovanni. Um, and you know, she does some of the cosmic stuff and I think she's excellent. Um, another name that might not be as familiar because I think she's only got one or two books out is Faye Snowden. Um, and she wrote a book called The Killing Fire and um, and it's really it's just really evocative. Really, um, it reminds me. I, I love southern stories. I'm not from the south, but sometimes those can be really like they've got their own flavor. Michael McDowell was somebody who used to write like the Elementals and stuff like that, and it gave me some of that kind of vibe. And but it was obviously her own perspective, uh, so it was unique. But um, I love Southern Gothic and and Faye. I can't wait to see what she writes writes next. So those are just a few names. Uh, my answer was actually going to be John Horner Jacobs. Um, I've gotten to kind of know John through Twitter for the last couple of years. He and I are both from Arkansas. He actually is still in Arkansas. And uh, he's one of those writers, when I get his new book and I read it, I just, I'm blown away by the fact that this guy isn't more widely read and known. And he has, you know, readership, but um, he deserves a much larger one, I think. Um, and I agree with everybody here. I've heard a lot of names that uh, would have sprang to mind for me as well. Um, I, I think in the horror community that we're all a part of, you know a lot of great writers. And a lot of, a lot of times those writers have a smaller audience that just deserves to be bigger. Um, and I think about a guy who's out in California, Philip Fricasi. Philip is well known, I think, within certain circles of the HWA and all of us. Um, but I, I think Philip needs a book to come out from a major publisher because he's a great writer and has that potential to cross over into a mainstream audience. So, um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of good people. So, yeah. yeah. Can we, can we talk about movies as well? Movie directors? Yeah. Um, there's a Seneg Senegalese director, Matty Dio, uh, whose first feature Atlantics is either on Prime or Netflix at the moment. I forget which one, and it's uh, it's basically looking at the um, the refugee crisis, but it's a it's a revenant story, the story of uh, people coming back from the dead, and it's not quite clear whether they're in the flesh or whether they're ghosts. It's it's really powerful, and 
it's lyrically, lyrically beautiful. Hmm. Hmm. What was that title again? Uh, the, the movie's called Atlantics. Atlantics. And, okay. and the, the director is Matty Diop. Okay. Cool. Look at that one. Yeah, another author I'd throw in there uh, would be Tyler Jones. I don't know. Uh, I don't think he's got a really wide readership right now. He's, he's uh, written a couple of novellas, but I just finished one by him called Criterium. Uh, I know Philip uh, Fercasi that you were talking about earlier, Andy had uh, just gotten a copy of his book. Um, it, it's phenomenal. It's it. Uh, he kind of writes in a similar vein to Crossroads by Laurel. Um, it's it's a very heart wrenching type novella um, that deals with uh, addiction, um, and it's it's it it hurt <laughs> reading that one uh, and finishing it. So I, I definitely recommend that. Um, so, so the last thing, uh, uh, I got to kind of wrap it up, but, um, last thing I want to do, I want everybody to, uh, talk about something new going on as far as writing. Uh, if you've got a new release coming out or if you just had a recent release, uh, if you want to talk about it and then also, uh, where can a reader that's not familiar with your works start with your works and, uh, Lee, we'll start with you. Okay. Well, uh, most recently, um, the latest Dead Sagas novel came out, uh, A Ritual of Flesh, uh, came out just in October. And the audiobook for it is going to be out in about two weeks. I'm literally just proofing and listening through it, make sure that they've done a great job. And they have. It's amazing. Um, uh, but where to start with that? I mean, that's probably my main series. So I'd start at the, with volume one, which is called A Ritual of Bone in the Dead Sagas. Um, and I say it's all grimdarks. I hate to say Vikings, but Nordic, grimdark with loads and loads of zombies um, and spooky things. So it's cool. Check it out. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, as I said at the beginning, I write uh, essentially cosmic horror urban fantasy. Um, my books take place in a world after Elder Gods have shown up, changed everything, and then left again. Um, and uh, I have a new book coming out this year called Gleam Upon the Waves. It'll be book four in that series. Uh, the first book is called The Stars Were Right, um, which is a reference to Lovecraft. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a big genre mishmash, uh, post, post, post apocalypse with like weird cyberpunk elements and urban fantasy and all sorts of stuff. So if you like kind of very strange cities and peoples and that sort of stuff, yeah, give it a, give it a shot. Awesome. Uh, I have a new novel coming out on February 5th from Grindhouse Press called Paradise Club. Um, and then I have another novel coming out in June called uh, Malignant Summer from Silver Shamrock Publishing. So uh, pretty excited about that one. It's like a 200,000 word coming of age novel um, that's loosely based on real events from uh, my hometown, Tom's River, New Jersey, during the 90s when uh, a chemical plant was like dumping hazardous waste into the water supply and a bunch of people got sick so and it's awesome by the way oh well thanks <laughs> i read i read it last summer he gave me an exclusive preview so yeah um yes so looking forward to that and uh i guess people could start reading my stuff with maybe the switch house because people tell me that they they really like that and it's short it's only like novella length so so I'm uh, two thirds of the way through a trilogy, which is post-apocalyptic sci-fi. It takes place about three centuries after our current civilization falls apart um, in a world where genetic recombination has sort of made every single living thing into um, a, a deadly threat to what's left of humanity. But probably the best place to start with my stuff is Girl with All the Gifts, which is um, a zombie 
a zombie apocalypse novel in which the zombie is a point of view character and she's she's a cute little kid she's really really sweet she's the kind of girl you would love to have as your own daughter except that she will rip your throat out if she gets too close to you and smells flesh <laughs> uh, Jonathan that's an amazing book by the way yeah. um, <laughs> so my most recent book was The Raven and that's a post-apocalyptic horror novel um, some others that people like tend to like or read are Children of the Dark and then um, The Siren and the Spectre which is a ghost story and then um, The Dark Game um, but anyway, so, uh, this one was a coming of age book. Tim's coming of age book. Your book sounds really good too, Malignant Summer. Um, and then I feel like, I don't know if you guys have read Bag of Bones by Stephen King, but he has like four or five books that he keeps like in a, I think like in a lockbox in case he ever, something happens to him or he has whatever, writer's block. I feel a little like that because I've got about four or five finished books now um, that I am just trying to figure out what to do with. Uh, so wow. we'll see. Yeah, um, I the sequel to Children of the Dark. There's one called Marla. There's another called uh, um, Halloween Gods that I just finished editing, and a couple others. We'll see. Hopefully, in the next couple of years, I'll have a lot coming out. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, well, I'm easy. There's this one. Either one of those. Make the pick. This one is newer, so by all means, that's the more recent. Um, but in terms of what's coming out, I I don't really have anything on the horizon just yet. I'm, I'm finishing up a third book right now for my editor, um, and that'll probably be in 2022 that that comes out. So there will be a dry spell for me this year, I think, but that's okay. So I'm going to try to get some of uh, some of those books in the hopper so I can have that problem as well. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. Well, yeah. As you know, we're here for your werewolf novel, no matter you know how Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, guys, I, uh, I appreciate y'all taking the time out of your day to, to come chat. Uh, this has been amazing. I think we should do this one again next year. <laughs> Very cool. I'm in. Yeah. But uh, again, everybody that's watching, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, and and stay tuned tomorrow and the rest of the week. We've got more great panels coming up. Uh, we'll start at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time tomorrow with a panel called Thrills That Pay the Bills. If you guys are Josh Mallerman fans or uh, Emily Carpenter or John Mars or uh, and uh, actually we just got Bracken McLeod. So we've got a got a pretty pretty stout set tomorrow. To You're bringing it, man. That's awesome. What a <laughs> but uh, but just thank you all again uh, and. Uh, We'll see you all tomorrow. Thank, Thank you, you, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Right. Cheers. Cheers, guys.